kingdom culture. And I want to begin to talk about that today and just begin to kind of lay that out and talk about why is that important. Um, kind of my subtitle for the title of these messages is what would the church look like if its culture was saturated by the kingdom of God? What would the church look like? What would Huntington First Baptist Church look like if the culture of our church was saturated by the kingdom of God? I don't know, these are things that I've been ta- thinking about really for weeks or actually a couple months. But um, I know it's something that you're just being introduced to, to, to today. But I want you to begin to think about that. I, I want to talk about kingdom culture for the next six weeks. Um, I want to start with that word culture first and just begin to talk about what I mean by that. Because every church has a culture. Um, just the way they do things, the way they believe, um, attitudes. Some people have described it as the soul of an organization, or in this case, a church. If I were thinking about the premier illustration uh, to talk about culture in an organization, I think about Chick-fil-A. Amen? Amen? Now, the bad thing about an illustration about Chick-fil-A today is, you know, they are closed. You are not going to leave here going, I wanted me some Chick-fil-A, unless you picked it up yesterday. Uh, Chick-fil-A has a culture about it. In fact, you can go anywhere in the United States, and you're going to encounter the same culture regardless of what Chick-fil-A you go into. And the reason is that, uh, for that is because of their founder, a man by the name of Truett Cathy. Truett Cathy. Uh, Truett Cathy passed away several years ago, maybe 2014. Uh, an incredible man, a Christian man. Really becomes the starting point of the culture at Chick-fil-A. In fact, their mission statement, Chick-fil-A, is something like, we exist to bring glory to the name of God. I'm thinking, oh my, <laughs> can you say that? That's what Truett Cathy said. That's why we exist, to bring glory uh, to God. Um, Truett Cathy actually is a Baptist, was a Baptist. There are no Baptists in heaven, by the way, but that's another sermon. Uh, He's a Christian. Uh, And really, he invested his life for about 70 years, starting about 70 years ago, uh, I guess in the first restaurant, I think in the Atlanta area, as I remember. And he put his mark, or what we're going to talk about, his culture on that organization. And a lot of it stemmed from him being a Christian. He was a man who was talking about servant leadership in a day that really nobody talked about that. And he talked about serving people. And so he put his personality and his culture on that organization. And it has uh, 
uh, transferred by design to all of those restaurants, uh, there is a certain language to the culture at Chick-fil-A. It doesn't matter where you go. If you're there for long enough, maybe even if you go through the drive-thru, I'm not a drive-thru person, but anyhow, it's all right. They're going to say at some point, an employee is going to say to you, what are they going to say to you? It's my pleasure. You already knew it. It doesn't matter if you go in Nashville, Tennessee, or you go to Lufkin, the one on the loop, the one in the mall. Some employee at some point is going to say, it's my pleasure. You're going to say, well, thank you for my food, and they're going to say, it's my pleasure. There's a language about it that Truett Cathy uh, instilled in a part of their employee training uh, is to teach people that. Uh, they don't try to impress their culture on people. They look for employees <laughs> that fit that culture. They really don't want to train people. They want to find people who say, no, I connect with that and uh, understand the values and the culture of this. True, Kathy would have said that he's not in the, he was not in the chicken business. He was in the people business. He was not only his customers, but his employees. Uh, his belief system, all of the organization, including what I've just alluded to, they're not open on Sundays. Why? Because you could make a dollar. Well, remember the mission statement was to bring glory to God. And I think the way Truett Cathy saw it, he was going to be in the Lord's house on Sunday and he wanted to give his employees the same opportunity will close and it cost him years ago at least for a while in that certain malls who said well you got to be open seven days a week and Truett Cathy said well we're not gonna open up finally the malls conceded and said okay well you yeah mm, it's really a good draw for our mall so we want you to open up even if you are closed on Sundays uh, to me the big picture of the culture is when you drive up in the drive-thru and I've already said I'm not Amy knows I'm probably gonna park and I'm gonna walk in to get that pe peach milkshake uh, but anyhow <clears throat> whatever it is uh, thank you Jesus uh, their drive-thru is over the top and even the one in Lufkin they've built these awnings over it and there's fans for the employees and there's like people in the parking lot saying would you like some chick-fil-a sauce <laughs> I mean you can you can sit in the restaurant and there will be this is a fast-food restaurant but there will be a person come by and say can I get you a refill um, I don't know I could go on and on but if you want to kind of understand what I'm talking about, the culture of any organization, I want you to think Chick-fil-A. It started at the top. It was ingrained for decades. And it is, it is service-oriented. We are here to serve you, and it is our pleasure. That's what I want you to think of. Culture in an organization, Chick-fil-A. Hmm. Well, there's also another establishment I go to somewhat on a regular basis. I will withhold its name. 
these sermons go out on the internet and people talk. Don't want to be a hater. But you're not going to get that same customer service every place you go. Hmm. There is one place in particular I think of in my brain, and I know you can't see my brain. That's a good thing right now. My wife will know. If you wanted to get help, you're not going to find it. There are going to be employees that pass by you as you are looking like, I don't know what I'm doing. And unless you grab someone, and actually when you grab someone, they're going to say, well, let me go get somebody for you. And there's going to be an announcement over the speaker. We've got a code 34 in the paint. I am saying, I didn't really mean to do that quite honestly. This is why I didn't. Anyhow, my point being, you do not get that same customer service. I'm going to have to move on. Uh, Every place you go. But this one place that I'm thinking of that probably you don't go there because it's in Tyler is what I'm thinking, actually. They have a board at the front of their store, and I don't know what it means, but they're tracking some kind of numbers, and there's some letters on that board, and I stand there in line, and I look at that board, and there's some kind of equations they're tabulating on that board to determine, I don't know what it is, And it's like posted every day. Maybe it's a weekly report. I don't know. And I'm just kind of struck by that. Because I think they probably talk about these things. They just don't get it done. And they probably run analysis on these things. But when it gets down to it, my sense is, the only thing I can figure, it's not about their culture and it doesn't really matter what strategy you have if it is not embedded in the depths of your DNA it's just not gonna happen Um, culture in an organization Um, could be a business but when we talk about culture many times we we're talking about countries or people groups like our Kanyanka people in West Africa have a certain culture Uh, schools sports teams Uh, the New England New England Patriots I'm not saying I like them I'm saying they have a culture about their organization and the way that they do things and churches have culture I want to give you a definition. Chandler, can we put that definition? I know I'm like, thank you. He's going, Brother Darrell, this is actually the first thing on your notes. Anyhow, we're freelancing down here, but you've been with me before. Uh, If I had to define culture, this would be my definition. I want you to kind of think about this for a while. Culture is the distinctive, shared history language, way of life, 
and beliefs of a group of people. The distinctive, shared history, it takes some time. Language, because they, they will speak it. It's my pleasure at Chick-fil-A. Way of life, just the way an organization or a group of people does something. And their beliefs or values of a particular group of people. Could be as large, I guess, I don't know if there's still a culture in America. Um, there's a culture in Huntington, Texas. We probably have to break it down into smaller groups. Uh, it's just the way they are. I think of the Kenyanka people, Cricket, you'll appreciate this. Every morning, uh, the women among the Kenyanka people will come out of their hut and they will have this little broom that's made of just grass. It's about this long. And that woman, hope I don't, she will, she will sweep her yard, which is the dirt outside of her hut. I can't tell you what's in the yard. Mm but they have farm animals. They've been out there spending the night. She's sweeping that whole yard. So some really smart American came along and said, you need a stick to make a broom. You know, so you don't have to bend over, right? You can have a broom and you can sweep the same end, but you'll have a stick and you won't have to bend over. And I'm pretty sure at some point somebody gave them some brooms. They don't use them. Because that's not what their mother did in sweeping the yard. What? The stick gets in their way. They've never done it like that. And we think that's silly. But the reality is that's just their culture. It's part of their history. It's just what they've done. It's what they know. It's their way of life. And so... I think our culture is what is distinctive to us. It's something we share. Uh, it, it relates to our history, so it takes some time to develop. Uh, it's our language, it's the words that we use and the way that we, we say those things. It's our way of life. And for sure, it's our beliefs and our value system. Um, We could say that culture is a group of people's DNA. It is what over time has become instinctual to them. It is deeply embedded in them, so it's, it's hard to change culture. It does not change quickly. Uh, it, is, it is distinctive, and so therefore it is contagious to the new people who come in. <laughs> if you were new to our church, and if you're an old person in our church, you didn't even realize we had a culture until the preacher said it this morning. No, we just Huntington First Baptist Church. That's who we are. But if you are new to our church, you're gauging that culture. And you're thinking, why is that guy sitting on a stool this morning? And the answer is, if you've been here a while... You're asking the same question. So if you're new, don't think, well, that's really odd because the person beside you who's been here for 50 years thinks it's odd too. Um, so our church has a certain culture and people will gauge that. New people will gauge a group of people's culture 
when they are pulled in, eventually they will conform or transform that culture. Culture is not particularly good or bad. I guess in some ways it can be. Uh, culture can be healthy or it can be unhealthy. Uh, some of it is just the way we are. Um, when we begin to talk about us as a church, you say, why? Why are we talking about culture? Uh, there's a classic quote by a man, I don't know, who studies such things by the name of Peter Drucker. And Peter Drucker, and I came across this several times in researching for this, Peter Drucker says, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Hmm. Think about that for a while. Culture eats strategy for breakfast. What he means is the culture of a group of people dominates whatever else they say or attempt to do. It doesn't really matter what you say your strategy is. Eventually, you will, you will live out the culture that you have adopted that is a shared culture of beliefs in the way that we do things. And uh, it's only when the strategy flows out of the culture that it has power, really. You see, we're going to talk about this in the next six weeks, but Brother Darrell can say a lot of things to you about things we ought to do and the way our church ought to be and all of this stuff. But if it's not a part of our culture, it's just going to be another day of the preacher beating his head against that stump. Why is culture important? Because all that we do flows out of it. Culture may change slowly, but culture must be changed for us to be effective in the kingdom of God. Culture will make or break an organization. It will dominate strategy. That's what Peter Drucker was saying when culture eats strategy for breakfast. Uh, one of the books I've read recently is by actually the, I call him a young man, J.D. Greer, pastor in North Carolina, Summit Church, I think in Raleigh, Durham area. And he's the new president of the Southern Baptist Convention. But in one of his books, Winning by Losing, he says, strategy without culture yields fatigue, frustration, and failure. Strategy without culture yields fatigue, frustration, and failure. That's why culture is important. And that's why the preacher wants to talk about it for the next six weeks. I don't want to just talk about culture. That's only one of our words today. The second word is the word kingdom. For these next six weeks, I want to talk about kingdom 
culture, not just any culture. What would the church look like if its culture was saturated by the principles and perspectives of the kingdom of God? Because what occurs to me is what we do as Christians, we look back to the church of the first century and we say they had it going on. They were changing the world. Two things I would say about that. Part of it was their culture. Quite honestly, this is the the crazy thing. If you just talk about strategy, I've looked at it at the book of Acts, and as far as I can tell, the early church had no strategy for reaching the world other than what they did in a very simplistic way. That kind of frustrates me as a pastor. Because I want to go, well, what's a, exactly how did they do this? And we're going to talk about some specifics of that. But you know the re- reality why the early church changed the world? It wasn't because of their strategy. Mm. It was because of their culture. It was what Jesus had done in their lives. But the other aspect of that is I would say they had a kingdom perspective and they lived out kingdom principles. So that's why I want to talk about kingdom uh, culture. Jeff Christofferson in one of his books, (laughs) I love this quote, he says, What made the first century church so potent was its absolute disinterest in itself. What made the first century church so potent was its absolute disinterest in itself. The first century church didn't care whether they built any buildings or they had any great programs or their pastor was on television, or they did some great outreaches. What were they about? They were simply about expanding the kingdom of God. They sold themselves out. It was not about their church. It was about the kingdom of God. A complete or an absolute disinterest in itself. What they were interested in was the kingdom of God. Now, you go, well, a preacher, what do you base that on? Because strangely enough, when I look to the Bible, the overarching theme that is throughout the Gospels and the history of the early church, specifically Acts, the kingdom of God. I don't know if you've thought about this. I've probably talked about it. Well, quite honestly, I've been here 19 years, okay? I'm sure I've talked about it. When Matthew was summarizing the message that Jesus came to proclaim, Matthew 4, 17, this is the summary. What was Jesus preaching? What is he teaching about? Matthew says, Matthew 4, 17, from that time Jesus began to preach and to say, repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That was Jesus' message. 
Change your ways because the kingdom of God has come and God's wanting to take over. Jesus was teaching them about the kingdom of God. Now, actually, it's the same message that John the Baptist had, the forerunner of Jesus, and that's in Matthew 3, 2. Same quote. John came saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When you think about Jesus' teaching, when he taught the parables, invariably he would say, the kingdom of God is like. Well, let, let me say this. Matthew most of the time uses the phrase kingdom of heaven. Uh, sometimes the scriptures say the kingdom of God. In the scriptures and in their minds, those are interchangeable. Kingdom of God is the same as the kingdom of heaven. Heaven is just the throne room, the capital of God and his kingdom. I would contend that everything that Jesus taught, he was teaching principles about the kingdom of God. And it's something we kind of just gloss over and we don't really think about. And part of it is because we don't live under a monarchy we live in a democracy and we've lost the sense in the, modern, in the Western world about, well, let's just be honest, dictators have a real poor reputation right now in the world, okay? And rightfully so. But the ancient world, they would have known what it meant for a person to be a king and to have a kingdom. And Jesus came to proclaim God's kingdom. God has come to take over. Now, the interesting thing is when we come to the end of Jesus' ministry, Luke records this in Acts 1-3. In the 40 days in which Jesus... Uh, between his resurrection and his ascension, he was teaching the disciples, and in Acts 1-8, Luke records this. He said, To whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during the 40 days, here it is, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Jesus only had a limited amount of time before he would ascend, and Luke says the one thing he talked to them about was the kingdom of God. And if I really had to peg you, pin you down, even if you've been in church a lot of years, and say, so what was Jesus teaching about the kingdom of God? Ah, let's be honest, most of us have to say, well, mm, 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 I don't really know. But from the start of Jesus' ministry to the end of the Jesus' ministry, he was teaching them about the kingdom of God. Actually, that's true also for the apostle Paul. And Acts only takes us to his imprisonment in Rome. But when he gets to Rome, Luke records this in Acts 28-23. It says, So when they had appointed him a day, many came to him at his lodging, to whom he explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets from morning till evening. And then the last two verses of Acts the history of the early church, at least that's recorded. Then Paul dwelt, this is verse 30 and 31. Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. 
the one theme that dominates everything about Jesus' ministry and the first century church was the kingdom of God. And I think in the church today, I'm thinking, I don't, I'm thinking as a pastor, I don't know that I really have a handle on that. I'm not sure all that that means. But my question is, what would it look like if the church, its culture, was saturated by the principles and the perspective of the kingdom of God? So for these next six weeks, I want us to dig in and say, what, what is it? What does it mean to have a kingdom culture? If the kingdom of God dominates all that we do, what would the culture of our church look like? Um, I think I was supposed to say this earlier. What did Jesus mean by the kingdom of God? In a simple sense, the kingdom of God is the rule or reign of God. I like to think of it, the kingdom of God is when God controls things. When God takes over, I think that's what Jesus was saying. When he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He was saying, God, I'm announcing today that God has come to take over. I love what Jeff Christofferson says in his book about the kingdom. He describes the kingdom of God in this way, Jeff Christofferson. He says, the kingdom of God, here it is, what the world looks like when King Jesus gets his way. <laughs> what the world looks like when King Jesus gets his way. Here's the thing. God is the King of kings and Lord of lords, and he created all that exists, and he set up the world for his glory. Uh, and he is the very, he's the king, the sovereign one over it. Years ago, there was a rebellion against the king by Satan. And there was an opposing kingdom that began to exert its power on this earth kingdom of darkness, kingdom of evil, Satan's kingdom, kingdom of darkness. I don't know, however you want to say it. And there has been this battle on the earth all of these years. I want to say to you that when Jesus came, you can see this in one of the parables, God had sent servants as an offensive against the forces that opposed him. But one day, by the sovereign plan of God, God said, no, I will send my son. And what did the son come to announce? God has come to take over. And there's a new offensive in the battle between good and evil, light and darkness, the kingdom of Satan and the kingdom of God. Now, there were some misunderstandings about that. Because the Jewish people were looking for that same kingdom, they thought. But quite honestly, they were looking for an earthly kingdom. And when Jesus came talking about the kingdom of God, 
That wasn't it. In fact, one of the times Jesus said, the kingdom is within you. What Jesus was saying is the kingdom that he came to bring was a spiritual kingdom in which God would come and capture hearts. It wasn't about the physical outward kingdom. It was about capturing people's hearts. It was a spiritual kingdom. So the kingdom of God is what the world looks like when King Jesus gets his way. And it goes to the very heart. It is a spiritual kingdom. It is a kingdom that cannot be measured by people. Therefore, it cannot be measured by the number of people, buildings, money. Church, do you understand what I'm saying? We won't know buildings we build by the number of people that are here today or the amount of money that's collected in the offering, whether the kingdom of God expanded itself today. No. At best, those are outward expressions. Jesus said, no, the kingdom is within you, and I came to take over people's hearts maybe when you thought, heard the kingdom of God, you thought, oh, that's what happens someday in heaven. But that's not what Jesus was saying. Yes, there is, a, there is an ultimate expression of the kingdom of God in heaven. We studied about it in our life group this morning, when God's kingdom will be known in its fullness. But Jesus wasn't just saying the kingdom is someday. Jesus was saying, no, the kingdom is now. God came to take over today. And he wants to expand his territory. So what was it? What was it? And I close with this. What was it? In the early church. That demonstrated that they had a kingdom culture that Jesus had taken over and captured them and was using them to expand his kingdom. We're going to talk about it next Sunday. But for me, it starts with a surrender to the lordship of Jesus. Not only is it the starting point, it's the end point if we don't ever get that. If we do not give Jesus complete control of our life, then he is not king and his kingdom is not expanded. I think secondly, because of that and because of what Jesus did by his death on the cross, kingdom culture is about humility that knows that the only reason I have life is because of the grace of God. Which means Jesus would teach us, judge not lest you be judged. Jesus didn't leave us here to judge one another. He left us here to expand the kingdom and to reach and to bless other people. And why do I have that perspective? 
Because the only reason I'm a child of God is what God did for me in his son Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. Therefore, that gives me humility to live out that grace that I have experienced. I think the third aspect of a kingdom culture is that there is a focus that's out there. It's not about building us up in here. It's about reaching up. It's about reaching out and giving up what God has blessed us with so that we might touch the world. We might expand the kingdom outside these four walls. One of the other things I thought about was that the early church was grounded and controlled by the scriptures and what Jesus had taught about what it means to live a surrendered life. The principles of the kingdom permeated everything they did. It was the king's orders. This is what the king said. It's his law. It's the way he said we were going to do things. The other aspect, I believe, of a kingdom culture is about people and relationships. And what I see in the early church is they had a compassion for people. And I think it's part of a kingdom culture. And I think the other aspect, and we'll talk about it six weeks from now, but is they, they spread the kingdom by the words that they spoke. Hmm. We're going to see this. How is the kingdom expanded? The kingdom is expanded when I, when I proclaim the king and the kingdom and the grace and the salvation that he has brought. And somehow God uses that from a simple sinner saved by grace to touch another heart, to change another life, to expand the kingdom. One more that came from the side of darkness to the side of light that says, I just need, I need now I need strength to live that out. And that's what we do. Our purpose is to speak with our mouth the gospel of the kingdom until all have known. Now, I want you to stand up. You'll feel like I'm, I'm about finished. <clears throat> I'm not saying I am finished. I want you to stand up. Kingdom culture. It is my responsibility as your pastor to establish the culture, the tone, the soul of the church. Hmm. I don't know, quite honestly, it's a little disheartening to me. And I have to deal with God about this, or God's got to deal with me about this, thinking, I've been here 19 years. We ought to know all of this. So firstly, firstly, I take that as a challenge to me. It's my responsibility to set the tone and the culture of our church. 
my responsibility first. Secondly, it becomes your responsibility. Because each one of you will have part ownership to set the tone, the environment, the soul of the church. Starts with me. I understand. And most of the responsibility falls here. But then in turn, some of the responsibility falls there. What would the church be like? What would the culture of the church be like if all church members were like me? And if I wanted to be a part of a church that had a kingdom culture, then what would that look like for me? And so in the weeks to come, there are going to be points of challenge to say what, is, what needs to change in my life so that my life is saturated in the kingdom. Let me pray, and then we'll have our time of invitation, and we invite you to come. But Father, uh, we thank you for today. We pray that you would teach us. Father, I pray that we would come to know you as the king and to know your kingdom maybe a way we've never known it before. And so we pray in these weeks to come that you would do a work in our lives. Father, today we pray in this time of commitment that we would surrender whatever it is that you ask of us. That we would truly demonstrate that you are the Lord, the sovereign one over our lives by giving you control of every aspect of our life, whatever that may be today, whatever you ask of us. And so we commit this time to you and we pray it in Jesus' name.